Demystifying the Role of the Network Designer with Mohammed Radwan. Episode 74. In this episode, I want to help you find the role that you are meant to do in networking. I am highlighting all of the different roles we have, like network engineer, network designer, network architect, and even the new DevOps engineer roles and the automation specialist roles. So for me personally, I would rather work in a position that I loved than make four times the salary in a position I hated. And that took me away from my family. I always say this, find the position you love and embrace it. So today, to help me on this goal of helping you find the role you are meant for in life, in your career, in networking, my good friend Mohammed Radwan is joining me today. Mohammed is a leading network designer and architect. He's a fellow CCDE and CCIE. Mohammed just recently was promoted to a CTO. That's Chief Technical Officer, which is outstanding. Mohammed joins me today to highlight and demystify the role of the network designer. So stick around. Here we go. Welcome back, my friends, nerds, geeks, and ziglets out there. We have another episode of the ZigBits Network Design Podcast, where zigabytes are faster than those gigabytes. We strive to provide real-world context around technology. Hey, what's up, everybody? I hope everyone is doing great. Zig Ziggy here, and welcome to episode 74 of the ZigBits Network Design Podcast. Once again, my name is Zig Ziga. I'm here to help you with network engineering, network design, and network architecture. And one topic that we have to cover today is the role of the network designer. And to help me today with that is my friend Mohammed. Thanks for joining. And, and you know what? How are you doing today, buddy? Thanks, Zig. It's always a pleasure to meet you and talk to you. It's uh, and today I'm really happy because I was uh, telling you before the live that uh, today was a special day for myself as my daughter. She's just moved up into the, her uh, career. She's becoming like a T2 referee in basketball. And today was her first match by herself. So I was very proud of her and I'm very happy and excited to be with you today. Hey, man, that's awesome, right? We got to we gotta get those wins out there and Especially in this time, you know, I mean, we're in the new year today. Um, this is going to be, uh, this is airing in January. This is the new year and, and we're trying to forget about 2020, but we really got to think of those positive things. And, and that's great. That's huge. All those family things that are going on. Um, so what, what sport it is again? She's a basketball. Wow. See, that's cool. And uh, I, I, yeah. I, I played, oh, so side note, side note, just so everyone knows. Um, I played basketball on and off for a couple of years in, in, in junior high and high school. And then I actually got cut because I suck at it my senior year in basketball. So just some, you know, tidbit of information for all of you. I suck at basketball. Um, I am a soccer player, a traditional soccer player by heart. So yeah, great. Me too, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, real quick, uh, totally off topic as always. Right. Um, so we talk about soccer where you are, because you, you live in, in Sydney, um, just so we're clear, right? You live in Sydney, Australia. Um, do they have? Do they call it football there, or do they call it soccer? They call it soccer as well. Yeah. See, I, I didn't know that, like the, and that's why I was asking. Yeah. I, I had no idea. Um, so that's cool. Okay, cool. Um, so hey, again, thank you for joining today. I appreciate, it, buddy. You know, we've been doing a lot of things together over the last six, seven months, and I don't know why we haven't done a show like this before. I mean, I don't know why. I, but. Exactly. Yeah, for all, all of that period. And <laughs> now, but, uh, I really enjoy all the things we did together. Actually, we giving back to the community is something you feel like a, a blast after doing that for the people and supporting our beloved community. Oh, yes, man. This is this is our, our role, right? We want to give back to this community yeah. every step of the way. Yeah. So, and again, so we're going to cop, we're going to copy, we're going to cover um, the network designer role, right? And honestly, you're the first person to, to help me with this in this context, demystifying the role of the network designer. So as always, I have a whole bunch of questions that we're just going to kind of run through as always. And really the first one here is in your opinion, what is the role of the network designer? Yeah, it's a really good question and a good start, uh, Zig. So, I think for the role of network designer is a key when it comes to the process. Some people will say that mainly the network designer, what he needs to do is to plan and prepare and do the due diligence required to complete a network implementation. So I believe even if you are an old engineer like myself or even older, the people 25 years old, 25 years experience or back, 
to use just to come to the network. They have an idea. I want to configure OSPF. They just jump to the network and go and configure it. And then they discover this is not the optimal way to do a project. This is not the optimal way to manage a network. So then the role of network design become critical and critical. It's also a part of system design. So if you design like any IT, it's very similar to designing your infrastructure, your uh, maybe Microsoft cluster, your database, and so on. And I believe it's require a lot of preparation. You need to be very solid understanding your tools. And after you do the planning, do your due diligence, and be like, you like this word myself, you and myself, Zig, which is being like a bridge. Yes. Bridging between the business business requirement and the technical solution. So actually, this is a key. So you just take the words out of my mouth. And, you know, we've been presenting yes. on webinars for a while, but that's yes. what I always yes. tell, tell everyone, too, is we really are bridging the gap between the technical side of things and the business side of things. We have to speak both those languages, in my opinion. Yeah, and, it, and it's and it's different languages, right? You're, you're the technical people care about the technical things, and then the business cares about the business things, and, and the wording is all different. You know, we're talking about opex and capex, the business side of things, um, and in in total cost of ownership and um, all those you know business terminology, really. And then on the technical side, we're talking about ones and zeros and IP addresses and subnets and. Uh, I don't know, OSPF and, and BGP and, you know, exactly. So, um, okay, cool, cool. Um, now, on that note, what? how do you do your kind of network design role today? For sure. Even um, maybe now I moved up a bit. So as, as we can see, it's like, for me, it's like a cycle. So it's made the made the, the role or the function may differ, but in many companies you have like operation, then implementation, then design, then architect, and maybe then you go to the, the management and so on. So as a designer, usually it may differ from uh, industry to another industry or from a, a company to another company, but your main role as a designer or slash architect is to engage early with the customer, understand the requirement, and then start building uh, multiple documents. So for, for my, from my long experience, I believe some of the documentation is critical. So even when you start meeting the customer, one of your main role is to do after meeting, maybe meeting the customer, gathering the requirement, understand his need. Usually you end this phase, which mostly the planning phase with the document. Either you call it the requirement document, uh, customer requirement documents, or data gathering report, regardless. So usually, I believe usually in each phase of the project, so after planning, you prepare this document. Maybe then you move to the second phase, which you're starting the design. So when you start the design, you start thinking about something like uh, how I can translate this business requirement into a high-level solution. What what are my building block? What is my architecture? How many modules should I include in, uh, in my solution? And always you need to think about these uh, design pillars, like is my solution secure? Is it scalable? Is it uh, manageable? And so on. So I mean, it's a, I look like passionate because I love this network design. I've been there as a designer for more than 15 years. So it's required a lot of interaction. There's a lot of documentation. So you need to be solid when it comes to documentation. You need to be solid when it comes to communication with the customer. So um, this is just an example. So uh, uh, Zig, uh, do you have like a comment or uh, the answer your question? Or? Yeah, yeah, no, that answer my question. But I think I think it'd be beneficial here. Um, for us yeah. to to actually break this apart into like into phases, you mentioned phases almost. So I think, yeah. and we're gonna, we're, I'm just gonna put some words out there as always, right? So um, let's we have phase one, and let's I don't know if it makes sense. I would call that like discovery or requirements gathering or something along those lines. That's phase one. Does that resonate? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so if I can take what you said there, right, you're, that phase one process, as a designer, you need to get into that, that customer space or if it's your own environment and you have to do a full discovery of the business state, what they care about, but then also the technology state, what's being done today, and what are the workflows and, and how are things being done and what are the pain points, all of that. You're really just getting a good discovery. 100%. And a key point here also, Zig, for the discovery phase is identifying your stakeholders. Ooh. So as you mentioned, maybe you have an internal project. Let's say you have you are working on a company and I had that before and you're doing like asset refresh or maybe adding a new data center. So in this case, you have internal customers. So you need to identify who is the stakeholder. 
is your CTO, maybe your uh, project owner, your CIO, your uh, security uh, architect, and then you go and meet with them and you prepare like a questionnaire. Then you start gathering uh, the requirement. So this will be a very important phase. First, you need to gather the take. I like the top-down uh, approach. So you start thinking about business, people, process. And after that, you st only start touching the network. And then even when you start talking about technology, you start from uh, layer seven and OSI layer. So you start talking about the application. What are the application on the network? How do you communicate? Where the users are located? Uh, and, and then you go deep and deep to the layer till you reach network, uh, physical. And after that, maybe you can start asking about the data center, the location, uh, the power, the cooling. Uh, so uh, and over the year, I believe most of us, maybe the, we developed like a, a couple of questions or a couple of questionnaires, templates, which we keep modifying and using with different technologies. Today, I'm meeting like a, a customer. He is looking for maybe uh, he's a service provider. So I... I I grab from my, my drawer the service provider questionnaire. Tomorrow I'm meeting like a, a cloud, a customer looking for a cloud migration. So I grab another questionnaire. So this, this phase is very critical. Some people, they take it easy or overthink it or so. Sorry, just maybe don't give it the right amount of time. Uh, and then this really affects the, the consecutive phases, like the planning phase, the design phase, and the implementation phase. Oh, that's great. That, that's good. Okay. So discovery phase, we, we, we do that. We get the requirements. We understand what's going on. Um, and then we move into the beginning kind of, we have to process those things. But you mentioned something in that discovery phase that I think was important, identifying those stakeholders. Um, yeah. And that is hyper critical. And I've been saying that a lot lately. That's my new buzzword, I guess, hypercritical. But yeah. that, that is super yeah. important because you don't, you have to know who you're doing all this for. Right, that, that, exactly. You have to know who is the line, the business owner, the line of business owner that you're talking to. Mm -hmm. You have to know who your stakeholders are, so you can have those conversations. And they're going to be the ones that can um, tell you what the priorities are. Can um, if there's something that's competing priorities, they can deconflict de them, and then they can also identify financial items too. So if they have funding budget, or if they can say, hey, no, this is an actual need requirement. We need more money then because we have to do that. Um, so they have to be kind of in yeah. this process, right? I agree 100%. And as you know, Zig, some, we are not work, working with machines. So stakeholders is, uh, are people, also humans. So sometimes also uh, this data gathering approach, some people, they prefer to do it over multiple sessions. So if I'm meeting a person today, Maybe I'll give him uh, a bunch of questions. Maybe also give him some time to go and, and understand my question, the need behind my question. I try to explain it to him. And after that, based on his, his answer, maybe I, I will ask him a, a second batch of questions. So uh, this iterative approach for design, I believe it's uh, it start early in, in the project. <laughs> another point I want to highlight, yeah, another point I want to highlight, which is very important and I notice it, in some companies or in some situations, you don't really engage or involve the design team early in the project. This oh, is a yeah. big mistake. Yeah. So sometimes, maybe if you have a big company and you have a, a huge sales team, maybe the sales team will go meet the customer, understand the requirement, and even decide on the hardware. And after that, they engage the design team or the architecture team. This is a big mistake and actually uh, caused a lot of disaster, which I... And the opposite, for during my my experience, some of the project which we I, the architect team was engaged very early in the project, even sometimes during the RFP phase or during the negotiation or even the first stages when it was was just an idea, it's make a huge difference to the proje project success and progress through the life cycle of it. Yeah. No, that's 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 a good point because I yeah. find it. I find it better now these days where yeah. design is brought in a lot earlier um, at the beginning phases. But like, if you go back 10 years ago, it was always like a, like a, Oh, we were supposed to bring you in and the project's already done. Like it's like everything's <laughs> implemented and it's nothing's working. And that's why we're, we're being discussed. That's why we're having this conversation is just a problem. Yeah. And so it's like, 
all right, Mr. Customer, you didn't bring me in. Like, I, I can't solve your problem now because it's live. Mm. You, you put it in production mm. and you designed, I don't know, you designed this for whatever requirements that you thought you had. And, and there's actually these other five requirements that no one even realized. Um, and then and then you're like, well, why didn't you tell us this? You know, well, you didn't bring me yeah, in. And it, yeah, and to be a bad surprise when you, you, you go to the customer and you discover he already bought the hardware yes. and he told me, yeah, 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 you do your magic. So I, I got these eight routers and I, I need to build my network. So yeah, do you, I don't have any switches, but uh, you, have to, <laughs> you have to manage and build me like a campus network without switches or so on. Yeah. So, well, it's yeah, like it's, putting it's, a, what is it? What's that? What's that saying? Like putting a, a square peg in a round hole or whatever? Like that's yeah. you're trying to make it happen because at the end of it and, and you're putting on your putting yourself on the spot and they're putting you on the spot. And it's like, well, it's it's not gonna happen. You didn't get switches. Like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. Oh, you forgot the SFPs or so on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, SFPs is not a hard fix like that. I mean you gotta yeah. buy them, right? Yeah. But like I mean, yeah. those are literally those are little those are like cables in most cases. They might be a little bit more expensive than yeah. cables, right? But yeah. but then it's like if you didn't get like hardware, like that's a problem, yeah. right? That's a that's exactly. a you know, or or if you designed a solution that's not optimal. Um, that's a problem too. So yeah, the, the lesson there, and I'm, we're being, I'm being long winded. It's me. Um, make sure you're including design at the beginning of the process for sure. hundred percent, hundred percent. It's a golden tip. Yeah. All right. So, so then let's, let's move into the next phase, right? So we, here we have our requirements. We know what, what they're looking to achieve. We know what they're doing today. We know what they're looking for the future state. And now we get into the second phase. What would you call that second phase? I would call it, uh, if you consider the, the discovery as part of the, the planning, so maybe we move on to the design phase. So the design phase is more like engineering drop. So you got all these inputs, you got all the requirements from the customer, you highlight, you you document all your understanding of the, of the requirement in a document, and you got the sign-in from the customer. This is very critical as well. Then you start working on the design. So some in some places you call it, you work first on the conceptual design, or work on the architectural or um, high-level design, regardless of the name, you, you need to start thinking about your solution from high-level perspective. Don't go into the bits and pieces of the configuration line or the uh, timers or so on. You just making, yani, let's say you, you start talking about, I have this application. I need to think about maybe what is the transport protocol? Shall I use MPLS or IP? Making some this, this design decisions and based on that, you for each design decision, you highlight why you actually went that way. So as example, you have two options. Shall I go OSPF or ISIS? So then based on the customer requirements, you know, customer is uh, care about scalability, but he doesn't have an operation team which understand ISIS. So that's why you have decided to go with OSPF. So maybe during this phase, you will say, we will go for OSPF for this and that reason. We are using, we are going to use uh, multiple areas as example and, and so on. So this is mainly what you need to capture on the high level design. And then you start working on the low level design with the configuration template uh, and so on. So that, that, so we jumped right. So we have the design phase and we have the high level yeah. design is what we're talking about, which is yeah. normally a high level design document. But then are you also saying there's a low level design document as well? Yeah, maybe now people are becoming more agile and they want to reduce this amount of documentation. You can see it in some places, not everywhere. Uh, so in some places you have maybe two design documents in other situation, uh, maybe they combine it and they call it uh, a single design document. But uh, regardless, I mean, as a concept, usually you have your conceptual design with your decision design decisions and the rationale behind it maybe you can put it in the executive or the uh, first part of your design document and then the details will become later and which include all the knobs all the timers all the uh, IP addressing and even the templates about your design some some places you put also the steps uh, for the implementation team how to do this uh, installation. Excuse me, and so on. That's a lot, right? So that that's a lot in the design phase. So we talked about conceptual design. We talked about HLD, yeah. the LOD, and I like the agile approach. I've actually been seeing that a lot, lot more um, recently, where people don't want a single HLD and a single LLD. They want just it merged together in one document. And in a lot of cases, I don't know if. 
I know I've seen this on my side of things. So it's where we have an HLD done and we have an LLD done and we just put them in the same document. Um, and it's, it's kind of transitioning now to a more formal, Hey, this is how we do a single design document because that's that originally it was like, Oh, we did the HLD and the LLD and we just popped it into the same word document and we gave it to the customer, <laughs> like, yeah. like, but it doesn't really tie things together. I mean, it's technically still two different documents. You're just putting it into in a delivery form to one document. So now think, things are starting to interweave and it's making a lot more sense because you still have the high level sections and then you have that low level section in that same section. Um, and it's, a, it's more agile, like you said, and it's more of a single design document. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or even the other extreme or which is becoming, you know, like with DevOps and CICD. So even some of the customer, if you have like an, a project with an automation, maybe you want to automate a network and make it like a, uh, infrastructure as a code maybe the uh, the customer will ask you for the extreme i don't want any documentation <laughs> just put everything in the gitlab oh yeah then you put it on gitlab yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> yes so maybe this will become the norm yeah. Yeah. in a few years that is an interesting perspective i wrote some stuff yeah, in yeah. github um yeah yeah the other, uh, GitLab, yeah, yeah I, I wrote some stuff in github um for Cisco Live, and, and I actually did it like a blog post, but I didn't think about putting like the documents in GitHub either. That's actually really or GitLab, sorry, and that's really really smart yeah. actually. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So so after the design phase, what is the next phase? Uh, usually, the next phase is the phase is the actual implementation. So uh, and here there's a, a key uh, sub phase or a stage in the project with the transition because in most of the cases the team doing the implementation is not the same team doing the design so how to make sure that when you transition your design to the implementation team they understand the design they understand why you, you did that why you made make these decisions also maybe the custodian of the network or the operations team also maybe need to be aware of this design approve it uh, you need to consider the criticality of the network so how you were going to implement it are you going to implement it on one night is it a big bang or if it's a big network uh, you will carry it into a small chunks and uh, then you decide on the maintenance window so even implementation phase is a big one and usually it's taking Maybe sometimes if it's a big project, it's taking the, the longest among all the phases, uh, but it's critical. I, I will not, I don't want to talk a lot about it today but because we are focusing on design, but it has in some places, it has its own document, you know, uh, maybe a big vendor like Cisco, they have like a, a lot of template like network implementation plan, network ready for use, which I believe it's a good standard to like and, and it's helped like a handover between the design team, implementation team, and operation team to make sure that your design actually works as expected and uh, the implementation follow uh, the standard and follow the steps which you highlighted as a the, as a, the main designer for this project, as example. No, that that's good. I think that just highlighting that what it is and the handoff that's yeah. that's critical. And I would say like there's yeah. probably some critical. Um, lessons learned on how you properly hand things off right like like because again you're not implementing it i'm not implementing it my team where i work implements everything not me and so you know we had the planning we had the design phase and then we have a, some sort of handoff and then you know i got i i have 30 technical leaders and engineers and 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 you know yeah. technical folks that are going to go implement this stuff yeah. now and so sure. i have to make sure i hand that off and i'm assuming that'd be the same for you um now as you hand it off is there any way that they can reach out if they have questions, comments, concerns? Yeah, usually um, uh, we prefer to have it like in a, in a meeting. Yeah, and usually we send them the document. And the best way is to have it like a, a session where they come, you start presenting your LLD, start telling them maybe the things which you believe it will not be very obvious. And you there will be some uh, negotiation and discussion. And, and I believe during, during my career, sometimes I, I had a very tough, uh, discussion with operation team because for them, then they start doing this trade-off. So maybe for you as a designer, you want to have the network which is very fast converge, uh, very advanced, having the latest technology. Maybe you, you, you want to promote something like Sigma routing, but maybe the operation teams, uh, the opposite. They want something stable, something uh, well-tested, something they really uh, 
uh, aware of. So then there will be this trade-offs. So uh, as I told you, in some of, during previous projects, sometimes we we have like the optimal design, but we have to postpone it a bit because mm-hmm. the operation team is not ready. Yep. They're not willing to take the risk. So that's why maybe maybe some people will come maybe after five or, or six years and say, who did this design? Why they implement it that way? So I believe don't judge the designer. You don't know, yeah, know what, yeah. what the situation. The design was done five or three years back. Maybe Sigma Trout wasn't mature at that time. Maybe uh, iOS XR wasn't invented. It was only iOS XE. That's why he chose that. So it's that the, the decision making it depends on the situation, on the time of the uh, he made his cho- choices, the regulation, and a lot of things. So there's always like that's why I I learned it maybe a bit later in my career that I document all my rationale <laughs> behind my design. I don't keep it open like that. No, that's good. Uh, document all of yeah. your decisions, right? All of your, de- and why yeah. you made those decisions. Why five, exactly. five years from now, you're not going to remember why. Like, I mean, even you, like, exactly. I'm not going to remember why. Jeez, I can't remember what I did yesterday, <laughs> um, what decisions I made. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah. so, so this goes into a kind of a, you know, we're talking about the planning phase a little bit more. Um, I think it'd be beneficial here to discuss how you go about identifying your customer requirements as a network designer. Like, do you have oh, any yes. specific way of doing that? Any process? I know you mentioned that you have a, like you have templated questions that you've learned over the years that work. Um, but is there like a process you follow? Oh yes. Uh, for me, usually I start with uh, I do a quick research about the customer. Uh, First thing, I go to their website and, and understand their business, understand their maybe vision, what is their major major project that they are working on now. In some cases, even I go to and read their balance sheet, check their finance, see the stock market, are they going up or down, then see something very critical. I understand their maybe board, the key personnel within the customer, and then I go to the uh, other details. If there's an RFP, I make sure that I, I read the RFP carefully. And if I have like, a, usually if it's RFP, I have like a, a period of time where I can send my clarification questions. If it's just like a project, a direct project, then I go and meet the customer. I, as I told you, usually I have a couple of uh, uh, sessions. Today I'm going and to meet maybe the top management. So I ask questions more about the business. Next day I'm meeting the engineering team. I ask question about the uh, design and architecture guideline and so on. Maybe the third day I'm meeting the people on the ground, like the operation team, the IT system team. So I ask uh, more deep technical questions. Uh, and then I try to document uh, all what I captured through this phase in a document, as I told you, uh, whether we call it the, the due diligence, the customer requirement document, or the data gathering report. Uh, Yes, and usually uh, as a way of traceability, uh, I want to keep yani, my requirement and I want to keep the customer requirement in a uh, trace, yani, all my solution, I want to link it to a specific requirement. So as example, I'm choosing MPLS because the customer was looking for a scalable solution, solution which support segmentation. So you need to have something like to support this traceability, how to uh, trace back your design, de- design decision to a specific one or multiple requirements. So, yeah. No, that's perfect, right? Um, I always tried to, when I first was starting out in design, um, I always found out that there was implicit items and there's explicit items. And and you, as the designer, have to weed through all that. And and you have to learn what questions to ask and and how to ask them and how to get that information from the customer. And and today, uh, and I think I've talked about it a couple of times lately, um, I've started realizing that there's just a lot of unstated requirements by customers these days. And what I mean by unstated requirements is that they don't have to actually come out and say them anymore. They don't say that they need reliability. They don't say that they need availability. They don't, they just assume it's going to be available. They just assume that it's going to be reliable. Now it's on, on us as designers to determine that level of availability and that level of reliability of an environment. And it's really not, it's really a shift uh, from the network-focused availability to the applications and services availability. It's a very important point here. 
hyper critical as you mentioned or hyper important. <laughs> You're gonna start using <laughs> that, like that too. Yeah. Yeah, I'll start using it as well. Yeah, and even sometimes maybe the customer doesn't because um, not all the customer are IT background. So maybe they heard about a term, maybe they are using the wrong word to describe the requirements. So that's why you need to be very careful when you speaking with, with your customer, try to make sure that uh, he, he yeah, sometimes you need to educate the customer, tell him, yeah, maybe that's what you want, why you want 100% availability, that your application really <laughs> looking for that, yeah. why you want maybe something, yeah. So 100% availability, I mean, that's going to be really expensive, yeah. right? <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> yes, exactly. There's, there's a, it, it may not always be expensive for the availability you're looking for, but if you're asking for 100% availability, that is going to be... Yeah. A very expensive solution. Hundred percent, yeah. And why? Maybe if you are at a telco, uh, or maybe you're having like a a hospital and a critical service, uh, or so, or mobile core, yes. But if you are maybe a small shop and uh, selling a pizza, so why you? Yeah, and you get connected. So it depends. It depends on the <laughs> business and the, yeah. The key, the key word is that it depends, right? It depends. It depends yeah. Um, so yeah, I think exactly. this this kind of goes right into another question I have, right? Um, so how do how do you properly handle the constraints that are given to you as a network designer? Sure, sure. Uh, for me, first, I need to make sure they are actual constraint. So I I want to make sure that usually because I, I, I speak with a stakeholder and usually within companies, maybe there's some politicals, maybe some, maybe there's some uh, logistic or, uh, or lobbies. So some one person, maybe he will tell you about a constraint, which will end up is not true. So first I need to validate actually, is this a real constraint or not? And then if I have a multiple, multiple constraint, usually I, I try to weigh them and see how critical they are, uh, how how will they affect my solution? Um, and based on that, sometimes some people, you, we may think about constraint, something like a risk. Then you, you need to start thinking, shall I accept this constraint? Shall I mitigate this constraint? Or shall I transfer it? Or maybe and I try to convince the customer that maybe they can live without it or something. Some constraint are, I have to accept if it's like more like regulation or a standard, mm, yeah. as example, if I'm working with a, a hospital, I need to follow this, or if I'm working in, in US and I need to follow the SOC uh, standard or so on. So this constraint is a must, I need to follow it. But if, if somebody told you, by the way, we, uh, and there's a constraint on budget, which is we cannot exceed that amount. And this came from the technical team. Usually it would be better if I go and con confirm this such a constraint with some, some, somebody like the CFO or the procurement team. Uh, or, or the opposite, if one of the network team told me some constraint about the application, I may go and double check it from the application owner. And if it's a real constraint, then I try to uh, ad adopt, uh, adapt my design to match this uh, constraint. If I want to give this application maybe a higher quality of service mm -hmm. or allocate more bandwidth for it, or maybe the extreme, maybe I can create a dedicated uh, traffic engineering panel or a VPN for this specific application. So. Usually, uh, one of my smart manager, one of the guys who really affect me a lot, and I'm still in contact with him. He was uh, one of the manager I work with in France Telecom. Usually, he used to say to us when we started our design career, usually technical technicality is not uh, difficult. You, you will find a solution. Mm -hmm. Any problem, from technical perspective, you will find a solution. You are good, and technology have a lot of options. Usually, the, the, the showstopper usually is uh, how to operate it, how to build it, uh, some business uh, showstopper. But uh, yeah, I, I still, I, mean, I still believe this is almost uh, correct in most of the cases. Not hundred percent, but usually you can find, you will find a solution technically. No, so I think there was something at the beginning of what you just said that is a big takeaway, and I'm trying to emphasize this because it, I'm not going to say that the keyword that we just said. I'm not going to say hypercritical again for the 20th yeah. time, right? Um, this is just a big takeaway. You have to validate the constraints are actually constraints. And I give an example. Like I, I will go on with a customer and I'll go on site or I'll have a call and they'll say, yeah, we, we, we need this. It's a requirement. And it's a technical person. And they're saying that they need the technical solution. Maybe it's, um, maybe it's sub-second failover. Or maybe it's, you know, fast reroute. I don't know, whatever highly complex solution. And so I'm like, okay, well, why do you need this? 
Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, and I, I will keep asking why until I get a valid response that says why they need it. Because a lot of times, and I, I hate to say this, a lot of times the technical folks, they don't know why they actually need it. They're just copying configurations, scripts, or whatever, or they weren't there when the design was created and they don't know the reasons why. Uh, now, there probably is a reason why. I will say that too. I'll tell everyone that if you if you are brought into a network and you've never been in that network before, there's probably a reason why everything was done the way it was done in that network. You may not agree with it. You may not like it, right? It may not make sense to you right now, but there's probably a reason. 100%. And this actually brought something to my mind. I believe one of the, I took a, 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 a course recently about strategic thinking, thinking or something like that. And they were talking about like, or negotiation, sorry. And they were talking about the five whys. So usually, in order to, as you mentioned, to validate it, you, you start asking five why. I need sub-second conversions. Why? Because of this application. Why this application needs sub-second requirement? Because it uh, communicates with the people between East Coast and West Coast. What is the distance? So you start asking him why, why, why? It's not a way of bad attitude or like you're a detective or something, but just you're trying to validate it. And maybe at the end, oh, you know, after doing all this uh, uh, back and forth discussion, you know, it's actually required 10 milliseconds, not sub milliseconds. It's happened, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and you figure it out, right? And again, and then it's documented, and and then the company understands, right? That hey, this is, and you can reduce that complexity a little, right? You can, I mean, the configuration of the devices bloats because of people don't know why things were done to begin with. So I think this goes into a good, good uh, question, follow-on discussion, right? So. We make these designs. You, you and I are designers. We do a lot of design work, and, and our designs are awesome. They don't have any issues. They never fail, right? So, so and <laughs> I'm being tongue in cheek or whatever, but you know. So, what do you do as a network designer when your design fails? Uh, take a vacation. Don't go to the office <laughs> next day. <laughs> no. Yeah, no, sorry guys. I am on yeah, yeah. PTO. I am in. I am going to the US, and I'm going to go to Hawaii and hang out with Zig. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and you know, uh, Zig, this is our challenge. Usually, people, you know, go ahead, blame the network. Usually, if there is any problem, ah, uh, it's because of the network. Then you have, you need to. Uh, spend some time to convince everybody, no, it's not the network. The network is stable. My design is correct. It's maybe the application or the database and so on, or the customer. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so, yeah, we faced it. I mean, any, all of us, I believe most, I mean, we have like design failures or design challenges or maybe something happened. Uh, so for me, I, I try to do like wearing my uh, operation or uh, problem uh, analysis hat and then start building maybe this fishbone idea what is the problem what are the possible reason and then start thinking uh, taking this and one of the question i start asking myself is this design failing for a common use case or it's a corner case because usually you are a very good designer like like myself zig and we know usually when you go and do a design you do it for a majority of cases we don't design a solution for uh, three uh, multiple failures or uh, uh, two failures or three failures at the same time. Usually, to have an optimal and reasonable uh, budget uh, solution, we, we design for a single failure or so on. So this is one of the first questions to ask. Is this failure because normal situation which we consider in our design or maybe this is like a, a disaster or maybe like a, a, a power outage for the two data centers at the same time? And if you find out that actually it was uh, something wrong in your design, it's not the end of the world. We know that the design is iterative. Maybe this is not, some, I'm not try, trying to be like defender, uh, but we sometimes you, you miss something or maybe uh, somebody you didn't capture all the requirement or somebody gave me the wrong requirement. So you design your solution and it wasn't 100% optimal. So not a problem. You go and do some tweaking for your solution and keep improving it. So I believe over the year, even for service providers and the big telco, usually each year they have projects like enhancing the network. So they keep enhancing their routing protocol, they keep enhancing their security. So I mean, it's it's iterative. And um, and the design fails, it's part of our life and to keep improving. 
I don't know. My designs <laughs> never fail, man. They never fail. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so I would say there's a couple things, and I, I would add to this, right? Just to be clear, um, sometimes our design fails because we're not given all the information. So there's that aspect, right? We don't know all the requirements. We only have a small picture or a part part of the picture or the part of the full the full view. And so when we design something, we have to keep that in mind that, you know, if they don't give us all the requirements or we don't find them for whatever reason, you know, the design may fail because of that. So there's that aspect. We have to tweak that design. We have to go in and tweak it or redesign altogether, depending on those requirements that we might have missed in some fashion. So there's that aspect. Um and then honestly, like sometimes we make mistakes, right? Like it, it, sometimes it just happens, right? Um, we make mistakes. We overjudge something. I mean, it is a design perspective. And once things go into the implementation phase that we talked about at the beginning, that's where things should get revalidated. And, and those implementation engineers, those specialists that are, you know, writing away on the command line there with, with the devices, they should be able to have a way to reserve the right to come back to the designer and say, Hey, um, I don't think this is going to work here. Here's, you know, here's my reasoning, right? Here's why, um, because of X, Y, and Z. And then the designer can come back. Okay. Yeah, I know you're right. Uh, you know, what I did isn't going to work here. Here's, here's what you would do here or, or a better way from that, that implementation engineer perspective is not to come to the designer and say, Hey, this isn't going to work. What do I do? It's probably more like, Hey, Mr. Designer, this isn't going to work. Here's what I suggest we should do. Um, because that engineer, that implementation engineer should have an idea of what would work. And then that designer can be like, yeah, no, that's good. Let's do that. You know, hundred percent agree. And this also, also may happen. That's why uh, I believe one of the good practice that you involve, uh, the implementation and operation team during your design phase. So maybe you get some feedback from them. So what is the current state of the network? What is our utilization? Uh, what do you think that if we going to run this feature, is it supported in all the, our hardware? Or maybe we have a new hardware that doesn't support this feature. Even if if you are 100% aware, you, you will not have all the small details like the custodian of the network or, or the solution, like who, who are the implementation of an operation team. So consider them as your uh, eyes and of the network. So it will help. I agree with you, Zik. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so I have this question now about how, how do you as a network designer um, work with different vendors? Yes, exactly. So here I will assume I'm not uh, a network des designer inside the vendor. I will assume I'm more into like a system integrator, which uh, I'm dealing with multiple vendors and, and I'm, I'm developing some solution for my customers using these vendors. So uh, I would say uh, these vendors, in, in that case, for me, like a supplier, like a partner, we do alliance together. The success of project, it depends on we having a good relation with the, these vendors. So initially, from human, human perspective, I have to keep this good relation. I have to uh, keep meeting them uh, regularly. I need to, uh, if I can meet them in person, if, or if not, I can at least follow their uh, product uh, pages, understand what is their new solution, uh, uh, read the data sheets. And also for me, if I have multiple vendors, usually I create like something like a heat, heat map. So as example, for when it's come to routers, um, I have vendor A, B, C. Uh, vendor A is very strong when it's come to maybe uh, on the internet layer. Vendor B is very strong in the core because he has this fast switching and so on. So I start... I keep a distance, the same distance, and I have to be fair with all the vendors. And also, I need to keep a good relation and be uh, be up to date with their technicality. And I believe one of the uh, our companies, we used to have like a score sheet for each vendor. It wasn't only technically. It was like a, we have like a waiting system. Maybe we give 60% for their technicality, maybe 20% for their financial uh, history history and financial prediction and maybe another 20% for their uh, customer feedback each, each, every and each co company they have their way but maybe the bad mistake is to maybe to get uh, into 100% with one one vendor I only work with this vendor regardless of the customer requirement regardless regardless of uh, my needs I will always work with that vendor you have to be smart and uh, and actually uh, choose the right solution and the right vendor based on the customer requirement and uh, and sometimes there will be some regulation 
even you want to choose this vendor, maybe this this country, you're not allowed to say maybe uh, uh, American uh, devices or so on. We faced it in some situation where we were we, we were building, as example, a multinational network for a big uh, customer, and then we there was some countries. Uh, he has some branches there, and in these branches, we, we couldn't use this vendor, so we have to find another solution. So that's why you have to be flexible and you have to be uh, having multiple relations with, with the vendor. So with different a, vendors, I mean. That's a very interesting take, right? I think that's good. Um, yeah, yeah. And I think that's beneficial. You you have to keep the relationships with the vendors because you're going to leverage them, and then you have to yeah. be able to leverage them uh, to fix or to solve the customer issues appropriately. Yeah. Um, and I yeah. think that, that, that that's how we do it, right? Um, that's a good take. I haven't heard that take before. I like it. Thanks, Mohammed. Yeah. All right. So um, when we're talking about network design and design decisions specifically, we have to make these design decisions. Um, there's always a number of priorities that, that are there from the, I would say the human side. You mentioned humans earlier, right? The human side. Yeah, so there's yeah. a number of priorities. So these are not necessarily technology priorities um, and implementation priorities. These are more human priorities. How do we, or how do you manage those competing priorities at, when making your network design decisions? Yeah, uh, by human priorities, uh, Zig, you are talking about maybe like from time perspective, from uh, phases perspective, or also from technologies, everything. Yeah. Yeah. So usually for me, uh, when I have this contradiction, contradicting priorities, or maybe uh, different opinions, or so on, I start find like uh, I want to make my decision and I want to be fair. So I start create something like a, a waiting system and I start thinking about some criteria so uh, as example i, I have like uh, uh, the customer he wa he want to do this solution as fast as possible uh, but the other team they want to do it with within budget or so on so i start doing some waiting criteria uh, from technicality solution a is uh, will, will will cost you this amount from uh, scalability from so on and i i start giving maybe some uh, weight for each of these criteria and for each solution i give a, a fair score so this solution a will take eight out of ten from technicalities uh, or option a option b will take seven uh, and and based on that uh, i'll try to make like a more objective uh, weighting system and i can choose which option uh, makes sense when it's come to maybe uh, other priorities, which is uh, uh, cannot cannot be evaluated, uh, I start uh, understanding from my talk to the customer and understand the, the their priority, understand the reason behind them, and I can see sometimes if if it's a must, I I try to be flexible, and uh, if these priorities require maybe adding more resources to. To the project, uh, maybe for a small period of time to be able to finish. Maybe if I have two uh, two phases and these two phases become very priority, and the customer want us to finish them uh, maybe before the end of the year, uh, we can negotiate with the customer. Okay, Mr. Customer, I can achieve these two priorities uh, in uh, in uh, in a less time. But maybe I need we need to agree on the CR, or maybe we need to agree uh, starting next year we'll extend the project so on. So there is a lot of uh, negotiation skills here, and there is a lot of uh, and give and take between you internally and with your uh, internal customer, and between you and the customer as well. So I like that you put that last part there, that there's a lot of give and take. Uh, that's that's yeah. what I've learned at least is there's a lot of give and take, yeah. and, and and being overly communicating back and forth, having that dialogue with the customer. And then I like to have some quick wins with the customer. I like, I like yes, to yes. hit something that they care about as soon as possible. And then that way that builds that relationship. So I'm going to say that again. One second. There was some extra noise. Um, figure out that thought process in my head. So what you just said is that there's there's some give and take, and I think that's extremely important here. And and what I like to do with with some of my customers is I like to do this this quick win idea. I like to hit one of their priorities as hard as I can, as quickly as I can, and then that way that kind of builds some trust with me and them. Like we have that relationship; it's a trusted relationship, not to be corny or not corny. Um, 
the marketing trusted trusted advisor trusted leader term but like literally we're building trust like i will okay we're going to do this deliverable by this date at this time and we're going to have it done and, and that'll be the first deliverable and we knock that one down we get that date done we don't slide that date ever and then and they might have a priority of hey i need this for a budget situation like we are doing budget work and our budget will be defined on this date so i need that document that you're writing to you know, it might be a future plan document for the next five years. I need that a week before that date so that I can properly put those things in my budget plan and, and get the budget for all those items that, that I need. And and that that's where this sits is that's one of those priorities that you, you want to do, help them and build that trust so that in the future you can be like, okay, well, we have that trust now and we can kind of manage those competing priorities. We can't do everything all at once. It's not possible. 100% and I like the concept of quick wins yes and building the credibility building the rapport with the customer because actually even for if you are like a vendor and dealing with a customer or a supplier or service provider uh, even if you yeah, need to achieve this priority you will do some investment uh, from your side or maybe you'll pay, you'll have some pay some money or so on or additional resources from by any means I believe you you will uh, repay it. The customer will really appreciate what you did for him, and maybe he will give you uh, another project, or it's it will, will you will get the repaid for sure. Well, it's circular, right? Like it, it, you're it's building okay. that relationship, and and it's just a constant. Like you keep providing value, and if you keep providing value, I mean, it's going to be clear that hey, that customer is going to want you back. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, 100%. but we're talking more of a consultative role, right? But that—that's the point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like that customer is going to want you back. Like you're—you're you're literally building them what they need, and you're making them and making their job easier, right? You're doing this work for them, and and they can take what you have, what you're giving them, and they can immediately apply it to everything they're doing. Yeah. Right, so, so we're human at the end, then. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say just in one minute that we are human, so. Uh, people they, they, usually they will buy your solution or buy your service because they like the solution for sure, but also they need to like you. If they hate you, maybe your chance will be difficult. So you have to build the trust, you have to build the uh, credibility, build the relation itself. It will help you as a designer, as an architect. Communication skill and uh, interpersonal skills is very critical for a designer and architect. There, there you have it. That that was a quick, that was a good takeaway, right? It's not just the technical stuff. We have to have those soft skills, communication. Yeah. We have to be able to yeah. build those trust, the trust, and, and that'll help you in this role as a network designer. All right, so let's talk about this next question, then we'll get into some more of a maybe certification focus items. But this is about budget, and I would like to know your perspective on how budget affects you as as a network designer your role as you go through making these decisions and designs how does a budget affect you uh, let me ask you a question zig yeah yeah how sure. many projects <laughs> how many projects in your life doesn't have didn't have a, a budget constraint <laughs> um pretty much all of them right uh now my budget might be yeah. pretty high right i might yeah. you know the customer might come to me and be like yeah we have five billion dollars for this yeah. this massive idea and in reality they don't have five billion dollars you know they have they have five million dollars <laughs> and it's still a lot of money but five million dollars isn't going to get you that five billion dollar you know idea in your head um so so you know uh that's a great yeah. question thanks for asking it for me um Every project I've been on has had some sort of budgetary constraint, right? Yeah, I agree. So what I want to achieve that usually in 99% or maybe five nines of the project, you will always have like a, a budget constraint. There is a finite resource. Nobody will tell you you have an open uh, budget for this project to go, go and buy whatever you want. So maybe you go and buy Cisco CRS to put it like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> put it on the for the yeah for the entrance of your building so no it's actually usually there's a budget and usually uh, you need to be uh, aware of uh, the customer budget and uh, the spending and uh, to to use the solution wisely and for me it was sometimes it's a bit tough because in some situation in the, especially in the big companies for you as a designer you don't actually aware of the uh, cost or the commercial component of your solution. So that's why sometimes you start, maybe you are aware of uh, hardware, but you're not aware of the uh, discount percentage. You're not maybe 100% aware of the labor 
cost or so on. So that's why it's a bit challenging for some of the designers to uh, build the solution uh, within budget. But this is something you learn uh, over the, the time. And actually, it depends. I mean, this is case by case. And it depends for each company, for each uh, uh countries or region or as example mm -hmm. if you're working maybe i don't want to give a bad example but if you're working maybe in africa where i belong it's completely different than working having a solution in the gulf area or or here in australia because in africa as you mentioned maybe one hundred thousand dollar is a big project for them so usually you have to be very keen sometimes it will become very difficult to choose an optimal a vendor or optimal solution because this vendor will be a bit expensive so usually you have to go maybe for the second or the third option so that's why uh, yeah when working in this circumstances it's becoming even more difficult for the designer to get to get the best maybe in many cases they will tell you i don't i know that uh, resilience is important but i'm willing to take the risk yeah, in some some of this situation, you have to go and build your solution with a lot of maybe single router, single link, and so on. So, uh, as I, as I said, budget is always there in most of the solution. Just the takeaway, uh, and what you need to take away from this question is budget is there. There is always a finite resources, and uh, you need to be aware of the where the solution you are implementing as a designer. If you can get some insight from the uh, sales team uh, about the budget and about uh, the solution breakdown so it can help you to define uh, the right solution so that that is great um i'll add a couple things that i was thinking about here um how i how i position this so there, there's certain circumstances with budget where um I've had these certain these situations over the last twenty years where a customer says, "Hey, we're we're gonna do this. We have this huge engagement. We need a ton of stuff, you know, equipment and services, and you know, they just have a lot of things that they need." And, and so we start talking, and I'm like, "Okay, but you have a budget for this, right?" And they're like, "Yeah, we have a budget. We're good. We're good." And so we don't talk specifics, and then you know, we start designing a solution, and then we get to the end of it all, and we give them a list of materials, right? That bill of materials, which has yeah. all the devices on it, and all the hardware. And all the software and all the licenses, everything, and you know, uh, so we so we get there right with this list. We give this list to them, and they're like, and, and you know, the price is like I don't know, maybe it's a million dollars. Let's just say, right, or maybe it's yeah, a million dollars. And and they come back to us and like, oh, our budget's only fifty thousand dollars. Mm -hmm. And like, okay, we are not on the same page there. So that situation, that's a bad situation to be in. And we go, well, we got to be trust for, we got to be trustful. We got to be upfront and say, hey, well, you know, you're asking for something that is a lot more money, and you only have fifty thousand dollars. So we got to start paring that back down and get you to where you can can, can be. Um, but again, it's not, it's not. We're talking about two different things. We're talking about apples and oranges, right? We're talking about two totally different ideas. Uh, and then the other thing is that. When, when we have these situations where there is a budget constraint, because there's always going to be a budget constraint, I like to let the customer decide. I like to provide them all the information I can. And I can like, I'll, I'll use like a layer three access design, right? So layer three access design means that for those that don't know, you have your switches, your layer, your layer, your, or your local area network switches. And, and instead of running layer two, like spanning tree between all your access switches to your distribution switches, you'd run layer three. And so you kind of cut out all of those, you know, spanning tree and loops and all that kind of stuff. And you rely on layer three routing. Um, so I would, you know, in some of those circumstances where we're designing that solution, I talk to the customer like, hey, this would be a really good solution for you. It hits, it hits your, your requirements perfectly. Uh, but there is the constraint here of budget, right? I need to be very clear. You know, the license to do routing on these local area network switches is a lot of money. And you have 400, you know, you may have 400 local area network switches or access switches, and you have to buy 400 licenses. And let's just say they're $10,000 a license. I mean, you can do that math. It adds up. So it comes down to, you know, this is what you could get if you spend this money or we can do a different design that you don't get layer through routing and you have spanning tree and you have, you know, links that aren't being leveraged potentially You're, you know, redundant links that are, are blocking state or you have port channels or whatever. Um, but again, there, those are the, the, the compromises, right? Budget is a big deal, but we have to, 
present it to the customer. We have to present it to whoever we're talking to and show them so that they have that avenue, They not avenue, that ammo when they're talking to their leadership and say, hey, we need an extra $10,000 times 400, right? Like, you know, we need extra money so that we can do this and then we can ensure whatever level of availability and optimization, et cetera. Yeah, I agree with you, Vinny. Completely zig, and you. This is also again, yani, coming to building the relation with the customer trust. So if you don't have this trust, the customer will not trust you. So maybe it's customer will say, "Oh, these guys actually they just want to oversell this uh, extra equipment to us." So they will say no. But if there is a trust and they understand, and you explain to them, you are very open with them. They will be your advocate internally for within their CEO within their procurement. And I believe in most of the cases. Uh, you will get what you what what best for them. So, but yeah, no, that that's exactly it. This relation yeah, first, yeah, yeah. All right, so certifications, man, certifications. So, what what is the most important certification in your role today as a network designer? Yeah, there are some obvious certification, but let me start with an obvious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I believe yeah, everybody will start thinking about CCDE, CCDA, and so on. But for me, I found some other certificate very useful. As example, TOGAF, which is more like architect, but is very helpful for the as a designer. Uh, I still remember when I started working as a designer in 2005, my company told me you have to take PMP. I told them why. I'm an architect. They told me, no, it will benefit you. And actually it did. So understanding the project, understanding the time management, people management constraint. So this will help you at least when you start putting your solution, understand the additional uh, elements of the solution, the people element of it, and so on. Uh, I would also suggest something maybe ITIL. It's good because in some in some situation, in one of the previous role I have as an architect, one of my main role, not only to design the solution, but to design how to operate and build the solution. So I was dealing a lot with the different team, and then I need to understand how what is the service desk will do, what is the operation teams, the problem management, and all this. So this will not be in all cases, but I'm just trying to say, in addition to the the normal stuff, which everybody will tell you, study, work on the, your foundation, maybe CCNA, CCIE, CCDA, DP, and so on. But also, there is some additional certificate, even CISSP. CISSP, I found it very useful because it's, cover security from different aspects. And security is very important for you as, an, uh, as a designer. So how to make sure that your solution is uh, secure. Uh, sometimes we don't go uh, uh, that deep for physical security or so on, but I was involved in one of the SOC security operation center design. We were, we were building a SOC for a multi-tenant SOC. So can you, how, can you imagine how secure this one should be? Because actually you are managing the security for multiple customers. So the amount of security uh, uh, workshop we had to this to decide even uh, how to have assured physical security, how to assure uh, network security, how to assure that the customer will not share any data. And so we built a lot of uh, multiple layers. So, and I believe this kind of certificate will actually add to you and will keep you a unique, maybe a designer or a better version of a, of a network designer. Oh, that's a great. That was a great what perspective. Is, have I missed? Have I missed something, Zig? You found useful as well. Um, the only other thing would be like, um, like business architecture. I would mention, like, um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like it, really, yeah. and I think that that gives a, a whole different perspective on, um, how to because it's again we're talking about something that, that is critical to bridging the gap between the technology yeah. side and the business side. And TOGAF is great, and ITIL is great, and I use both those. Yeah. I think PMP is yeah. great as well. And obviously, we're yeah. both CCDE. We're going to tote that, right? We're going to highlight the CCDE yeah, yeah, as well. Sure. So we already know that. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think I think uh, right business architecture is the other item I would add to that list because, um, and it, it, again, that's not a certification per se. Uh, it's training, mm-hmm. and and yeah. but it's it's very valuable. It really does help you with the yeah. business side of things. Um, so the last thing here, you know, where can everyone find you on the interwebs? I like to ask that question. You know, I want people to be able to contact you, keep the conversation going. So once again, where can everyone find you on the interwebs? Yeah, yes, uh, I have my website. It's uh, agileis.com.au. Uh, I have also my YouTube channel. It's uh, Mohammed Radwan. 
And you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, the same uh, name, Hamid Radwan as well. Uh, and Twitter, I'm not really active on Twitter, but I'm starting. Zig actually, uh, one of the guys who, I, <laughs> who convinced me to start using Twitter. But yeah, also Muhammad A.B. Radwan on Twitter as well. And I'll have all those links in the show notes just to make it really easy. There'll be a little section. It'll be the Muhammad Radwan section. It'll be like how do you keep connecting and you know, keep the conversation going with Muhammad. You'll have all his links. And also you have all the links to all this course content. Uh, Muhammad has a whole bunch of course content, uh, a study plan for the CCDE, uh, a free simulator for the CCDE as well. So if you're studying for you know network design or – well. If you're studying for the CCE or if you're learning more about network design, there's a number of things that you can go and check on Mohammed's site. And I'll have all those in the links just so you have them. Um, did I miss anything there on that part of the thing? I don't think I did. I think I got it all. Um, the next thing I want to say is that uh, Mohammed also has an ebook. It is the it is titled the CCE, sorry, CCE, the practical guide, right? Did I get that right? Yeah, CCD, the practical guide. All right, cool. <laughs> and, and, and we're going to do a giveaway, uh, just so everyone's aware. We're going to give away. So I'm either going to buy one of his books or he's going to give me one for free to give away, one of those situations. And, and, and we're going to do a giveaway. I don't know how long it'll be, but if you want to be a part of that giveaway, you can go to zigbits.tech slash MR. And that's just for Mohammed Radwan, short link, zigbits.tech slash MR. And you'll get all the details on how to be a part of the giveaway. And, and then we'll do it for a few weeks. And then we'll just give the book away. Hey, Mohammed, I appreciate it, buddy. Thanks for joining today. I'm going to close out this show and we're going to wrap it up, man. Brilliant. And uh, thank you, everyone. And thanks for having me and uh, have a good day. Have a good day, man. All right. Hey, friends, nerds, geeks, and ziglets. That's going to close out today's episode of the Zigbits Network Design Podcast, where we demystified the role of the network designer. Remember, at the beginning, I said that you have to find something that you love in life. That's what you want to do. You want to be happy. So hopefully this helps you demystify this role. Hopefully you understand what the network designer role is a little bit better today. And if you want to add some comments or see any information that we talked about, you can join the show notes. That's zigbits.tech slash 74. That's where we have all the links for Mohammed and all the content we covered today will be on that show notes page. Again, that's zigbits.tech slash 74. If you didn't know, I am creating a network design course. And if you want to hear more about this network design course, I'm doing weekly status updates to, to this small group of people. You can join this weekly status updates via the email list. It's going to be zigbits.tech slash network design, uh, zigbits.tech slash network design. And um, when you join this list, you will get a weekly information about where I'm at, what am I doing? It'll be real raw in the situation as I build out this course that I'm building. And again, a quick little spiel about the course. It is focused on network design. It is a vendor agnostic, certification agnostic course. And we are finishing up stage two uh, actually, that's we're finishing up stage four at the time of this uh, episode. So we are making some great progress. And if you just want to hear more about it, as always, go to zigbits.tech slash network design to hear all about it. If you liked today's episode, if it inspired you, resonated something within you, or provided any real-world context, let us know. You can find Zigbits on all the socials, Z-I-G-B-I-T-S, and we're on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. And you can always find me at Zig underscore Ziga on Twitter, or you can just email me at zig at zigbits.tech. As always, I appreciate you, and thank you for listening. Until next time, bye for now.